0: Because Today, we are ending our series uh, through the book of Psalms as we've been looking at some of the Psalms. and I hope today it's been both challenging and encouraging because no doubt the Psalms contain honest words that speak to our hearts, including to our doubts and our fears. As you read the Psalms, you find encouragement to press on and encouragement to turn your eyes to the true source of strength and satisfaction. At the same time, the Psalms uh, forces you to look within. And really consider what's going on in your heart. In a a way, what the Psalms are are a mirror that you can look into to see what your life or what in your life needs to change. Because as we've stated before, God has given us his word for our instruction so that there's no doubt that the Psalms are meant to help us know ourselves so that we can see the areas of our lives where God needs to work. Now, here's one thing I know when I think about knowing my life. I know there's one person on this earth who knows me better than any other's. Because we've been married now for 32 years, Kim knows me like no other person on this earth. We often don't even have to talk to know what the other is thinking. I know even when it guards our life, she, she knows me. She knows when something's wrong with me. She can look at me or hear me talk or whatever. She knows something's going on, as with her. I mean, there's times that I've looked at her and I said, well, what's wrong today? And she says, I, I, no, nothing's wrong and I keep pressing her on that because here's what I know. By the way, either sometimes just the way she's walked in the room, or the way that I, I see a look on her face, I know her so well. I know something's going on, and so I, I can press her on that and say, "No, I'm not taking that. Nothing's wrong for an answer because I indeed know you, and I'm not lying when I tell you how amazing it is between the two of us when we are often thinking about the very same thing. And when I say that, I mean something very random and strange. You wouldn't know." And I'll say something like, hey, you know what I was thinking about? She said, I was thinking about that exact same thing. And it was so random and so crazy. You're like, how in the world are we thinking about the same thing right now? It's because I really believe we know each other that well. Sometimes it's like our thoughts are together. Now, maybe you have that that person in your life. If you're married, Maybe your spouse is like that. They know you like no other. If you're not married, maybe that is a close friend that you have and says, This close friend knows me. They, they know every action. They know when I'm in a good mood, a bad mood. They just one look, look at me and they know what's going on. If it's not a close friend, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a teammate. Maybe it's a coworker. But most of us have that person in our life who knows us better than anybody else. You agree, right? Y'all, y'all say that. But here's what I want you to know no matter how well somebody knows you on earth, here's the truth I want you to get this morning. Are you ready? That no one knows you better than God. No one knows you better than God. Again, if you haven't already, do it now. Turn to that Psalm 139. Most of you, hopefully, are already there, but if not, turn there. Because this is another Psalm of David. And as David begins writing this Psalm, he makes a powerful statement about God. Look at how it begins. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Now, as, as David thought about his relationship with God, he declared to the best of his ability his amazement on how well God knew him. He knew that God knew every action he took and every thought that came to his mind. He even knew that God is so great that even before a word is spoken and it came out of his mouth that, that God knew that. You see, God's ability to know us so well is probably why at times, have you ever had this time where you were getting ready to speak something and you had this little thought that says, I shouldn't say that? Y'all ever had that? Here's what I know. God knew what was getting ready to come out of your mouth and because he knew it, his spirit was speaking to you and saying, don't let it come out, Right? Because he was trying to warn you whether what was getting ready to come out shouldn't come out of your mouth. That's how well God's spirit knows you. And David was overwhelmed with the thought of how well God knew him. And as we think about this truth, God's knowledge of us can be a very good thing because hear me, God knows exactly how he created us and what he has called us to do for him. Think about a moment in regards to David. David. In 2 Samuel 15, we read where Saul Saul lost his right to be the king of Israel through his disobedience. And so God knew that he was going to select a new king for Israel. So what did he do? He sent his prophet Samuel down to the house of Jesse, basically saying, You go there, and the next king of Israel, you're going to find it in the house of Jesse. And so here was Samuel in Jesse's house and having Jesse bring his sons before him. And one by one, Jesse brought those sons. And one by one, Samuel looked at that son and said, oh, no, 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 he, he, that's not him. And they kept coming, oh, no, no, that's not him. Another one came, no, that's not him. And it's, it's kind of got to the end. And Jesse said, well, there's my sons. And, and so Samuel looked back at basically at Jesse and said, well, do you not have any other sons? And it's almost as if he was an afterthought. You know, Jesse says, oh, oh yeah, there, there is one more. There's my son, David. He's the youngest, and he's out tending sheep. It's like in that moment, Jesse thought to himself, well, why would I ever bring David in front of Samuel for God to do something great with him? Because he's too young to be used by God, and you know, he's just a shepherd boy. You know, how can God use him? But here's what God knew. God knew David's heart. God knew that David had a heart that feared him. And God knew that David had the qualities that he was looking for in the king. And so God had Samuel choose David. And what we all know is this, is David became Israel's greatest king. And here's what I'm glad about. I'm glad that God knows us better than any other because others can sell us short. Others can fail to see in us what God knows is there. He even knows us better than our own parents know us. Right? Right? And I'm so glad that because God often uses us beyond what others might see as our potential. He uses people far beyond even what sometimes people see as their own potential. God knows us so well. He knows even our failures. God, most of us are familiar with David's great failure with Bathsheba. Most of us are also aware that David tried to cover up his sin, even to the point of believing at one time that he'd gotten away with that sin. But let's remember that God knows us better than anyone. And therefore, God doesn't just overlook our sin and he wasn't going to overlook David's great sin. And so he sent Nathan the prophet to confront David with his sin. Nathan the prophet confront him with his sin. If you know David's full story, David eventually confesses that sin and he finds forgiveness for that sin. God knows us so well that there is nothing about our lives that are hidden from God. That's probably why David declared this in verse six where he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. It is truly overwhelming for David to think about how much God knew him. And I want you to know this, God knows you that well. You hear me? God knows you just as well as he knew David. Now, as we ponder God's knowledge of our life, let's go ahead and state what is most likely obvious to us that God's knowledge of our lives can be both comforting and at the same time, discomforting. Isn't that right? Go ahead, shake your head this way here, even at home. You can't, I can't see you, but shake your head this way, right? It can be both comforting and it can be both discomforting. It is comforting in the case of God calling David to be king. Like I said, it's good to know that God often sees in us things that others don't. Again, honestly, God often sees in us the things that we don't see in ourselves. It's why we're told that God calls the simple. For in truth, when someone is seen as simple or common or something ordinary, that's a human perspective. But from God's perspective, we are all unique, gifted, and special. God knows that he has a plan for every life. So it's good that God knows us well to help guide us to his perfect plan for our lives. On the other hand, it can be a little discomforting to know that God knows every detail of my life. To know that God knows every thought is overwhelming when you realize how bad your thoughts can be. To know that God knows every action that you do, even the ones that you believe have been done in secret, can be terrifying because you know all the things that you have done that are not pleasing to God, right? You know what I'm talking about, I know that. It can be overwhelming when you think that God knows everything about you. Maybe that's what led David to say what he said next in verse seven. Look what he said there, he says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? One way you could read this verse is David in this moment of being overwhelmed with how much God knows about his life is that he wanted to run and hide. In fact, I'm reminded in the Garden of Eden, if you remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God came walking in the garden to meet with Adam and Eve, you remember what they tried to do, right? They tried to hide as if they could hide from God. I'll be honest with you, it's a little like my dog trying to hide from me. My dog cannot hide from me. You want to know why my dog cannot hide from me? Number one, he's a dog. Okay? And so he can't open doors and get behind the door and close it and says he can't come in here. He can't pull the covers over his head and hide and hope that he can't he's a dog. It can't happen. If my dog tries to hide from me, I know where he's at. He is under the bed. It's his only option, all right? And I can find him every time. Alright, and we try to hide from God, it is a fruitless endeavor. He knows where we're at. We can never get away from God. In fact, what I want you to see is that very fact. Catch this. There is no place that you can go away from God. You see, David may have asked the question, where can I go from God's spirit or where could he flee from his presence? But then he goes on to answer the question. This is really interesting, all right? He asked, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? But then he answers the question. Look at what he says in verse eight and following. If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be dark, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the, sun, as the day for darkness is as light with you. See, look what David clearly understood that there's no place that he could go that would be out of God's reach. But let's consider something. David didn't see this as a bad thing. You know, when we think God knows our life better than anyone else, you might say, I want to get away from God. I want to run. I want to hide. But I want you to know when David asked that question, where can I go, and realized he couldn't go anywhere, he saw that it was a good thing that he couldn't get out of God's hand. See, again, we want to think that David is so overwhelmed by the thought of how much God knows him that he scares him wants to hide. Though that could be the possibility, the better understanding is that David drew comfort from knowing that he could not get away from God, that David was happy that God knew his life like no other, and that he could not get away from God. And you might ask, well, Brother Scott, why do you say that? Because look closely at what David said in verse 10. Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall what? Hold me. Well, let me ask you, does that sound like someone who wants to be away from God? Go ahead again and shake your head this way. No. Those are the words to someone who draws comfort from the fact that God's hands leads him and God's hand holds him. Folks, that's very true to comforting. We need this pause reminder that we can never be away from God because so often we wonder if we are out of God's reach. Yes, we ask in regards to sin when we wonder, is my sin so great that God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore? But we also ask things like, well, do my doubts keep me from being loved by God? Does my depression keep me from being acceptable to God? Does my bad moods keep me from God? Does my mistakes keep me away from God's hand? Or maybe this last one, does all the trouble I'm experiencing mean that God is hidden from me or that he doesn't care? You need to know nothing takes you out of the reach of God. David would have asked several of these questions because as I mentioned, he sinned greatly against God so he could have thought, well, God's finished with me. I've sinned, all right? But remember, David experienced God's forgiveness. David also spent time hiding in a cave, running from his enemy. And as he was running for his life, he could have said, has God forgotten about me? I'm running for my life. My enemies are coming against me. Has God forgotten about me? My life is very dark at this moment. But isn't, you know what David experienced? He always experienced God's deliverance. David experienced many things that could have brought questions about God's place in his life. And David said, there is nothing that could take him away from God's presence. Look at verses 11 and 12 even again. Look at what he said. He said, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. That phrase, cover me, can be translated from the original Hebrew as crush me. In other words, David is looking and being honest as we must be, that his tendency might be to look and say that the darkness is crushing him. But folks, can I say this? But that darkness is as light to God. In other words, even in your darkest days that you think that you are far away from God or maybe you think that God cannot help you and nothing can help you in that moment, I want you to know this, that listen, God, listen, can handle that moment because that moment that seems so dark to you is a moment that is light to God. In fact, remember what his word tells us, that God is working in all things for the good of those who love them. So what we have here in the first 12 verses is David utterly praising the greatness of God, all right? Saying, God, you you, listen, you know me better than anyone else. God, I can never get out of your reach. He is praising God. Now, as I say that, some of you may say, well, I'm still not convinced that God's so great. You say that God, you know, knows me better than nobody, but I'm not sure. You, You say I can't go anywhere to get away from God, but I'm not sure, And so David, as he goes on, he's going to say, listen, if you still have doubts, let me tell you something about God. He says, your life gives testimony to the greatness of God. In fact, look look at this next part, okay? This next part is going to show us that your life gives testimony to God. It's an often quoted part of this Psalm, but let's look at it closely. He says, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your faults, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. You see, one thing David is clearly saying here is if anyone has doubts about the greatness of God, then just look at human life, right. Human life is too complex for there not to be a God and human life shouts that God is great and that his works are wonderful. Do you doubt God? Let me, let me tell you, do something. Look at the person sitting next to you or look at the person across the aisle. That life that you see is shouting that God is great. You see, atheists today still seek to discredit God. They even point to science and say that the more we understand science, the more God is disproved. However, they say this, the opposite is actually true. The more that we discover in science, the more one sees the hand of God, and even this, the more accurate God's word is shown to be. Take this passage, for example. David wrote these words thousands of years before he had ultrasounds, thousands of years before we could look into a mother's womb and see a child that is developed. Yet David said in verse 16 that God's eyes saw his unformed substance. The original Hebrew reads something more like my rolled up substance or my folded up substance, all right? That's how it really reads in the Hebrew. If you've ever looked at the stages of an embryo in a mother's womb, this is what you know. In the early stages, it looks as if this embryo is unfolding or unrolling in the womb. Think about this. Thousands of years before an ultrasound, it was, was able to look at that and see that an embryo unfolds or unrolls in a mother's womb. God's words declare that very thing. David knew that, and why was he able to say that? Because guess who created us? God, and David was saying, God knows. God even inspired David to write in such a way that proved what science now can see, that we had this substance that would unroll in those early stages in our mother's wombs think about that God's word as well before our modern technologies knew that and David's poetic words speaking about the human body even being intricately woven together describes well the complexity of the human body when you consider the many arteries and veins that run throughout the human body and how the different organs work together to sustain life the human body is a masterpiece from our maker it is a beautiful tapestry that is woven together i've mentioned before that the human eye itself is so complex That it shouts that there is a God. Astronomer and cosmologist Robert Jastrow once observed, the eyes appears to have been designed. No designer of telescopes could have done better. It is hard to accept the evolution of the human eye as a product of chance. Even Charles Darwin in The Origin of the Species admitted that explaining the complexity of the eye posed a daunting challenge to his theory of evolution. He wrote to suppose that the eye with all its imitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, observed in the highest possibility of degrees. And then he says that, but what did he do? He went on to still try to explain why there was no God and that how it was a product of chance, though he admitted that it couldn't really even be. You see, human life, folks, your life gives testimony to the greatness of God. David went on in this section to state how every day of life you have, you have, is written in God's book before one of them came to be. In other words, hear this, you ready? God knows how long you're going to live. All right, he knows how long you're going to live. You can trust your life to him and not be afraid. It's proclaimed God's greatness by basically proclaiming how inexhaustible God is. And if you read your Bible, for example, here's what you're going to discover. The more that you read and study, here's what the more you learn. The more that you realize, I don't know much about God. Here's what you would think. The more you think is, if I, if I studied this book long enough, I would figure God completely out, Right? then what do you think? I, I'm gonna figure it out. But again, the more you meet, the more you realize, hey, there's so much more of God, I do not know. Why? Because God is inexhaustible. Just think about science. The more that we discover in science, we think, hey, I'm gonna get rid of God. But the more we discover in science, the more complex we understand our world is in our life. And we never get to the end. There's always another question. We think, oh, I've got it figured out. And then we realize, no, I don't have it figured out. Why is that? Because who created this world? An inexhaustible God. And his world is inexhaustible because God created it. Our lives in this world world shout to the glory of God you understand that All right, if you don't believe God is great look at your life it is a testimony to the greatness of God now if your life gives testimony to God then what should your response be well David in one way reminds us that your life should be passionate for God look at the next couple of verses with me oh that you would slay the wicked O God O men of blood depart from me they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Hmm. Now, I've seen on occasions when people are dealing with a psalm, they just skip these verses. Why? Well, because in a way they seem out of place, do they not? Do they not? All right, for those here, shake your head this way at home. Shake your head this way with me again, all right? Yes, they seem out of place. In this psalm, David is singing the praises of God. He's declaring God's greatness, marveling at even how God has made his life beautifully. And David suddenly turns and said, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. How does that fit? Well, it makes perfect sense if you notice why David says these words. Look at verse 20 again. He says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. What David says here, he says because he is passionate about defending God. Think about it like this. For people who are parents, you know this, right? You don't want anyone speaking bad about your kids. Agreed? Let's give an example. I know this is going to be a far-fetched example, Well, let me give it to you anyway, right? Let's assume there's a dad who's coaching his son's little league baseball team. All right, and there's another parent who doesn't like this coach, and so he begins to talk bad about this coach, and then as he begins to talk bad about the coach, he takes it to the next level because then he starts talking about the coach's son by saying something like this. The only reason he's playing is because he's the coach's son. I know this would never happen, all right, but imagine this with me, right? You know what's going to happen. That dad who is the coach is going to do what? Say, listen, you can dislike me all that you want. You can talk about my coaching all that you want, but you leave my son out of it, right? And if it doesn't stop, what's that dad gonna do? He's gonna be ready to what? Fight, right? Fight, you you keep talking about Come on, let's bring it on because you're not gonna talk about my boy, right? You're not gonna do that. Talk about me, but in a way, listen, think about it. In a way, this is what David is doing here in regards to God. He loves God so much, he's just declared his greatness, and so he's like, God, take care of those who are talking bad about you. Wipe them off the face of the earth. He is defending God's honor in a way. Now, listen, not that God needs defending, right? (laughs) He doesn't need defending, but that's what David wants to do. David even felt justified in a way because you notice in verse 21, he says to God, he says, "I, I hate those, you hate God. I loathe those who rise up against you. David knew this, that God is a God of justice and that wickedness and evil are punished by God. So he believed he was justified in a way he felt. Let's acknowledge this. There were times where we read in the Old Testament that God had certain groups of people destroyed. In fact, atheists bring up God's command in the Old Testament to destroy the Canaanites as pointing to God as cruel and sadistic, even at times to discredit the Bible. However, here's what they forget is that the Canaanites were sacrificing their children on the altar of Molech. They were a people who were evil and who'd refused to turn to God. God never indiscriminately destroys people. In fact, what he desires for all people is that they would turn from their wickedness and be saved. Think about God sending Jonah to Nineveh. The Ninevites were wicked people. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? He wanted the Ninevites to what? repent, right, to turn back from God. That's what he wanted, all right? God always wants people to repent. Even remember the words of 2 Peter. There's questions about why hadn't the Lord returned yet? And this question about why hasn't he come and why hasn't he judged wickedness? Why hasn't he wiped evil off the face of the earth? Why hasn't the Lord returned yet? And so Peter's response to that question was this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach what? Repentance. See, folks, there is a day coming when judgment will be executed, but that's for God to handle, not us. David in his statement was basically saying, God, I want you to execute judgment now. And I want you to wipe those off the face of the earth who speak against you and speak your name in vain because God, you're great, you're mighty, you're holy. These folks need to be done away with. Now, no doubt what we see is David in this moment being passionate for God, wanting God's righteousness to be defended. And let me say, there's a part of this to be commended. The fact that David wants to fight for God is a good thing. Because you do understand this right our, our lives are to be passionate for God you know that in fact here's what God's word would tell us that we should be ready to die for God we know that God's word says as much Jesus said specifically in Matthew 16 for whoever will save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it we are to be passionate for God however one has to be careful because even zeal for God can be misunderstood or go astray Remember, Jesus' harshest words were for religious people who had lost their way. Or think about Saul before he was Paul. By his own testimony, he was zealous for God more than most. And in his zeal, what did he do? He killed Christians in the name of God. He thought he was defending God's honor, and so he was killing Christians. That is, until he met Jesus and understood that Jesus was the Savior, and he went from killing Christians to making Christians, right, as he spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Our lives should be lived passionately for God but we have to be careful to have the mind and the heart of God so that our zeal for God does not become self-righteousness, which it can. Therefore, what everyone must do then is this. You must bring your life under the scrutiny of God. Thankfully, that's where David ends. He declared the greatness of God. He stated his passion for wanting God's name to be defended. But when he ends, he ends with these very important words. Look at those. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's almost as if in this moment David is saying, God, this is what I'm feeling and thinking, but God, show me if I'm wrong. Which is what we almost do in life, right? We must bring our lives to God and say, Lord, show me the truth of my life because I can be mistaken. I can be blind to my own actions. We must do this because we're told in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, our ways can be wrong, and so we have to come and say, God, show me. And what David does here at the end of Psalm 139 is a person coming and saying, Lord, listen, you know me like no other. So show me the things about my life that I don't see and even the others around me don't see. Show me the things in my life that you want me to do that I might think I'm capable of, but that you say you know how you created me and you know how you want me to serve you. Show me those things, God, that I might serve you right. It is going to God and saying, Lord, search me. Show me sin that I think is hidden or maybe even sin that I, I, I'm not aware of, God, that I might confess it, repent of it, find forgiveness and grow in your grace. It is going to the Lord and saying, Lord, show me those areas in my life that I think are out of your reach and remind me that you are there. Show me, Lord, where I am not trusting because I think that you cannot provide. Show me, Lord, where I'm anxious because I think you don't care. Show me, Lord, where I have become hopeless because the situation seems dark. Show me, Lord, so that I might trust all those things to you and help me to trust. It is going to the Lord and saying, show me, Lord, where I have forgotten your greatness. Remind me, Lord, that you have created me, that you know the number of my days, and help me, Lord, remember that you love me and that you want the best for my life. It is going to the Lord and saying, search me, Lord, and show me where my attitude is not right. Where I might hate my enemies, show me, Lord, how to love them as you desire. Show me where there is hatred so that I might instead seek your love. Show me, God. Search me, Lord, and reveal to me any attitude that is wrong and lead me to your heart and lead me to the way everlasting. We all must bring our lives under the scrutiny of God like David did. On Wednesday night, Luke uh, met with the deacons for them to question him in regards to being ordained officially into the ministry, and he shared about how he'd come to Christ early in life, but that he hadn't always lived as he should, but that God continued to work. He even shared how he had surrendered to a call to worship ministry, even served in a few churches with each one of those ending probably less than he had desired, but He even got to the point where he had given up on pursuing God's call, even thinking, well, maybe I heard God's call in my life wrong. Maybe this is not what I'm supposed to do with my life. It led him to the point where he was pursuing other things and in a way leaving God's will behind. That took him to a place, and by the way, as I'm sharing this, I asked permission before I shared with you today, all right? It took him to a place where he was overwhelmed with anxiety, almost to the point of being incapacitated, until he finally turned to the Lord and gave it all to him. My paraphrase would be something like this, Lord, search my life and show me. In response, God showed him he had a problem with wanting to be in control, and then, after God revealed that to him, he was able to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I give it to you. And God worked in amazing ways, even to the point that he's come on staff with us. And God has worked in his life and he's become a person with amazing heart for ministry and amazing heart for people. It is incredible, folks, what God can do with us when we bring our lives under the scrutiny of God because if God shows us something, he shows us for our good and for his glory. And so here's what I ask you. Will you bring your life under God's scrutiny today? We all need to do this every day. See, if you bring your life under the scrutiny of God, ultimately what he's wanting to know is this. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you given your life to Him? And have you given Jesus control of your life? And he wants to know that because Jesus is the source of overcoming this world. In 1 John 5, it tells us this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, my prayer today is that you would bring your life under God's scrutiny so that the one who knows you better than any other can direct your path. My prayer for you today is that you would bring your life under the scrutiny of God so that the one who you can never get away from can be the hand that holds you even in your darkest days. My prayer for you is that you would bring your life under the scrutiny of God so that the one who created you wonderfully in your mother's womb can show you his perfect will for your life. My prayer for you today is that you would bring your life under the scrutiny of God so that even your passion for God can be focused correctly. And my prayer for you today would be that you would bring your life into the scrutiny of God so that you would see your need for Jesus and by faith give your life to the one who died for you so that you can overcome this world. And we need a lot of overcoming these days, amen? And we can through Jesus. Our praise team is going to come, and they're going to sing a song of response and reflection. And I don't care really this morning whether you sing one word of this song or not. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand and you don't have to stand if you wanna sit, that's fine. Because really what I want you to do in this moment is I want you to bring your life under the scrutiny of God. The song that we're gonna sing is song one thing and, I, and what I really wanna know is, is, is Jesus the one thing that drives your life? And so bring your life under the scrutiny of God and say, God, here's what I know. You know me better than anyone else and so I bring my life to you, Lord, show me. Show me, Lord, what I need to see about my own life. Show me what others don't see. God, is there something you want me to do that that I don't see is possible, but you've created me for that way. Lord, show me. In your life, if there's a sin that maybe you're trying to keep hidden, Lord, show me that sin that's there, Lord, that I might confess it to you, Lord, because you know me. Maybe this morning there's a fear, there's a worry in your life and the darkness seems too great. Would you bring your life under the scrutiny of God? Bring it under the one who you cannot get away from, who no matter where you go, no matter how dark it is, no matter how difficult it is, his hand is there to hold you. He's there to lift you up and bring your life under his scrutiny and say, God, this that I'm not trusting you, this thing that I've let bring fear in my life, God, I give it to you because I'm recognizing today even my darkest moment is as light to you and God, I don't need to fear. Would you do that? just bring your life under God's scrutiny today in this moment let him remind you how he has fearfully and wonderfully made you and just say God I give my life to you and make sure today you bring your life under that scrutiny to make sure your passion and your zeal for God is focused correctly for the Lord and above all today that you can look and say here's what I know above all I know that I've confessed Jesus as my Savior the one who is the overcomer And I've given my life to him. I've confessed my sin. I've invited him in to take control of my life. And I know that I'm living for him. And because of that, I'm an overcomer today. No matter what's going on in the world, I know I'm an overcomer because of Jesus. Would you bring your life under scrutiny? Maybe in this moment, God wants to speak to you about something or something he wants you to give to him. Would you do that in these moments? Because he loves you. He cares for you. There's none greater than our God. All right? He knows you like no other today would you give yourself to him would you pray with me Father as we come into this moment God I thank you for your word that again reminds us of your greatness but Father today as we come to this time my prayer would be what David said there at the end search me oh God and know my heart try me and, and know my thoughts God see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting God that's the prayer for my life and Lord I pray others would pray that same prayer as well this morning search us know us help us to give to you the things God that maybe we're trying to control when God you want it you want to take care of it because we know father today when we give you control you can do amazing things with our life much more amazing than we can do it with ourselves and so bless us during this time as we sing remind us that there's only one thing we really need and that's you and I hope today that in these moments, if You're not the one most important thing for some in this moment. They'll make you number one. So bless this time as we sing together in Jesus' name. Amen.